Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for your guidance and your wisdom and your strength. Heavenly Father, for those of us who do know you, would you strengthen our joy in you? Would you make us more like your Son in thought, word, and deed? And for those who do not know you, Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in changing minds and hearts, that people would adore you and follow you and love you and would change everything about them for the glory of King Jesus. Help me, Father, as I open up the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, and that we would know your amazing kindness towards us in accepting all people through the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And for those of you who are listening, we're going to have a few songs uh, at the end. We typically don't have music, but today we're going to have a couple songs. So stay tuned after the message if you'd like. So we're going through the book of Ephesians. It's a letter written 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul, and he wrote it in prison. And he wrote four letters while he was in prison for sharing about Jesus Christ with the known world at the time. He was chained to a Roman guard, and while he was in there, he, he wrote letters. And four of the letters we have, and you and I can read them. And they are Philemon, Colossians, Philippians, and, oh, what are we doing now? Okay, we use this analogy, or this uh, abbreviation when we're introducing this series. It's called PEPC. So P-E-P-C. That would help us remember what these four letters were. So Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians, PEPC are the four letters. So we've already preached through the entire book of Philippians, and now we're in Ephesians. And the reason we preach through books of the Bible it's because we need to hear what our Heavenly Father says to us through His Word. This is what we need to know before news, before other people's opinions. We need to hear from God. So it is our desire to preach through the entire Bible. The Lord willing, He gives us many years as the Northern Collective, and we will preach through every chapter, every verse in this amazing book that we call the Bible. So we're in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And he opens by saying this. When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. We're going to take a slight pause here and give a little context to what's going on. Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus, and the people of Ephesus, it's a very prominent city. Many different gods are worshipped there, over 50 different gods, they say. Very rich, very multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and it is a Roman colony. And so Paul is writing to this church that he started in Ephesus, and he spent three years in Ephesus, and he loved this church, and he loved these people there. But he's writing this letter like a, a, a loving father would to their children while he's in prison, wanting to encourage them. And he just taught in Ephesians 2, chapter earlier, how the Gentiles, 
the non-Jewish people of the world have been included in God's family. That's what he says in, in verse 3. When I think of all this, he's thinking there's this inclusion, this wall of hostility that separated these two races, the Jewish and the Gentile people, have been brought together. Now Paul is saying, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of Caesar, but a prisoner of Christ, for the benefit of you Gentiles. I'm a prisoner to no one else. Paul belongs, he's saying, ultimately to Jesus Christ. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. He's not in prison because of his sin, because he broke any laws of God, maybe the laws of the land. God is not punishing him because of something he might have done. He's in prison because of his faithfulness in bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles. So we might think when someone's in prison, they need encouragement. But Paul is saying, no, I'm in prison and I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ and I'm doing this and this has happened to me for your benefit. Paul's suffering during his work on behalf of the Gentiles. Paul continues in verse 2 in Ephesians chapter 3. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul's saying there's been this great mystery that's finally been revealed in this very moment, as I'm writing. And Paul will be the first in human history to reveal this mystery. And he wanted to tell the Gentiles that they have a share in God's inheritance. And that what Paul is saying, he's not just making it up. When people show up on social media or in buildings or in cities and they think, and they say, I have this incredible news, I know this mystery, and you should follow me, we tend to think that person is crazy. And we should. And Paul is claiming that I have this special insight that no one else knows. God has revealed it to me, and I am about to tell you what that is. He's saying I have this message directly from God. And a key word in this passage is mystery. It's used over four times in different translations. And in chapter 3, mystery is the key. Verse 3, Paul's talking about this mysterious plan. And it's not like a, it's not like a crime mystery it's not like Paw Patrol where they're trying to figure out something happened and we got to send Marshall and Chase and Zuma. I watch this show a lot. I, I know these dogs. And they solve every mystery that comes. It's not, it's, not like a, it's not like a Sherlock Holmes mystery that's to be solved. Rather, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it's something that's been hidden by God. It's something that's been hidden by God and it's finally been revealed. And it's been revealed at this very 
moment through Paul. And what is this mysterious plan? If we were watching a show right now, there'd probably be a drum roll. It might cut to commercial. What is this mysterious plan? Paul says in verse 6, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul saying this is God's plan. That you Jewish people, you were God's chosen, special covenant family. From beginning until now. And so these Jewish people, they were, they were set apart from the rest of the world. They had different laws. They dressed differently. They talked differently. They had different holy books that they read. And they were meticulous about keeping their laws. Over 600 laws they would keep. And they would debate about the laws. And anyone that was not Jewish is considered a Gentile. The Jewish people at that time hated the Gentiles. It was a generational hatred that went on for years. And as, as I was mentioning last week, it was illegal at the time for a Jewish person to help a Gentile woman give birth because that means they would let another Gentile enter the world. They used to have this saying, the best of the serpents you would stomp, the best of the Gentiles you would kill. There was a deep hatred here. And Paul's now saying, you know those people you hated? Those people. Outside of the hope and the will of God, outside of the covenant promise, who have never kept any of these laws, who never ate kosher, who never got circumcised, they too are included in this family. We read that today in a world of inclusion and think, of course they're included. Of course you would include me in your family. I, I'm doing you a favor, God, by being part of your family. At this time, it would be so outrageous to think that the Gentiles would be part of the inheritance and the riches of God. It would be offensive and almost incomprehensible. But this is actually fulfilling a promise that God made in the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God encounters a man named Abraham. And he says to this family, says to Abraham and his wife, he says, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Through your descendants, Abraham, I'm going to make your people as numerous as the stars. And through your family, Abraham, they will bless 
all the nations. Does anyone want to take a guess at what all means in Hebrew, the original language? All. All means all. So, if this is the promise that God makes, and you see throughout the scriptures there's this one kind of race that's being blessed, but not really all the nations, then there's an anticipation for like, okay, when is this day going to come when non-Israelite, non-Jewish people will be blessed? This mystery is finally revealed through Paul. This truth that God has hidden in the Old Testament is finally made clear in Jesus Christ. All the mystery that the Gentiles would be included in this promise, it was there. It was in the Old Testament. It's all the way there with Abraham. But how it would come about, it wasn't clear until Ephesians was written. Paul is fulfilling this promise. The mystery is revealed. The Gentiles, we are included in the promises of God. And how would the promise to Abraham be fulfilled? Paul says very clearly, through Christ, through the church. The gracious mystery of God. His eternal plan to bless all the nations. And to bless the Gentiles. For everyone to hear the gospel. Is through Jesus Christ. Through the church. Gentiles are co-heirs. Of God's kingdom with the Jewish people. And that message is brought forth. The blessing of all nations is done through the church. Verse 10. This is where I get my justification for that. Paul writes, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that in verse 10? God's purpose in all this was to use what? Angels? A tablet? Like a stone tablet? Not like a, you know what I'm talking about, the Mac tablet. It was to use the church to display the wisdom of God. The church. This mystery was brought forth by the church in Christ. The message that both Jew and Gentile can have the privilege of the status of being a child of God. That there is no one so far away from God that he could not save them. I've shared this before at the Northern Collective. I was talking to a man who's from Teslin, and missionaries who claim to be Christians said to this man, you can't be First Nations and Christian. Jesus Christ did not die for the Indians. You have to renounce 
your culture completely. And in some sense, we all have to do that. Culture is a neutral thing. We have to figure out in our own culture, whether it's Chinese, whether it's Canadian culture, whatever that is, we have to figure out what we can embrace and what we must relinquish and condemn. And we do that through the word of God. But it is clear throughout the entire Bible that anyone can come to Christ by faith in him. This is the wisdom of God that was used and shown through the church. God could have used any means, but he used the church. The church it should be like an embassy. An embassy of the heavenly king where people can come and see the life of God's kingdom. They can see how men and women, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, black, white, First Nations, Koreans, Russians, can come together to love and worship and proclaim King Jesus. That's what the church is. No, it is not a building. And I've never argued that. But it is us coming together corporately, if we can. If you have a local church, you must go to a local church. You must attend a local church. You must serve in a local church. You must give your life for God's plan A, which is the local church. This, watching this, is not church. It is not a substitute for church. It is a necessary medium so that you can hear the word of God. But the church is essential, declared by God, even if the government never changes their mind about that. God says the church is essential. It's essential to his own plan. And it's always been essential to God's eternal purpose. The God who created all things, he had a plan from the beginning to make his wisdom known through you and I who believe in Christ. If you don't know Christ, we are here to proclaim the riches of his amazing grace for you. That wherever you come from, whatever past history you have in rebelling against God and other people, the gospel has paid for that. Jesus Christ has paid for that 2,000 years ago when God sent his son to pay the eternal price for the eternal wickedness of our sin. He bore that on his body. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2. His blood, his death, his sacrifice on our behalf grants us freedom. That is freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin, freedom from hell, freedom to worship God. That is the freedom worth fighting for. That is the freedom that the gospel proclaims. And all these freedoms that we ex experience here on earth are shadows of that freedom. The church, it should be made up of various races and cultures who all enjoy a relationship with the Father through their union with Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. Paul saying there's a new third race, the Christian. Christian. Paul closes in the final two verses in 12 and 13. 
Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored. Paul doesn't focus on his suffering. And maybe you've been through some pretty serious suffering. Paul is saying that in the gospel, that in Christ, he is with you in that. I don't know what you've been through, but we are not identified by our suffering. And that does not dictate the rest of our lives. Paul's not focused on his suffering. Instead, he chooses to focus on his role in proclaiming the gospel to the world, which provides freedom from sin and eternal life with God. And we need to remember that. That God's plan for us may involve suffering. Not all suffering is from God. Much of the suffering we experience is from the sin that has infected each of us and infected our world where we take what is not ours and we call it good. That suffering will end. There is a brilliant and beautiful promise that all tears, all cancer, all pain and suffering will be wiped away. And we do look forward to that day. But Paul's saying, now, you and I, we should strive to be faithful amidst our trials. Whatever trials you're going through, whatever persecutions you're going through, big or small, we are faithful to God's gospel. And we are faithful to proclaim God's mysterious plan that has been revealed. This was not understood in the Old Testament. And the fact that we have that truth should lead us to amazing, amazing worship of the God of the universe who is redeeming and restoring all things to himself. And he's included you and I in that plan. Paul was the first to reveal that mystery and it is our job to continue it. How's your evangelism going? Do you pray for your friends, to your non-believing friends? How's your engagement with the scriptures? Does knowing God bring any sense of wonder in your heart and mind anymore? Or is it just a social club where we get together and look down upon the world who doesn't follow? Paul would say, by no means. You go to the ends of the earth at any cost to share the gospel and the mysterious plan of God's goodness with everyone. It is essential that we meet to do that. It is essential that we press into God's heart to do that. And as we sing songs together, and as we read the word of God together, would it inspire us and invigorate us and give, this, 
Give us this boldness to not only proclaim and preach and share the gospel, but would it give us confidence, as Paul is saying, to boldly go to God's presence. That we can go before the king of the universe as sons and as daughters. And he will not shun us away, but he welcomes us in. He says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. How can I be of service to you? And we follow him for his infinite glory and for our matchless joy in him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mysterious kindness. Thank you for including me, us, in your plan of salvation. Would we see the world as you do and not separate others as saying those people, that they too are included in the promises of God by faith. Give us boldness. Bring people to mind in our hearts and minds right now that we should call, we should reach out to, that they would join this family. We pray for great awakening in the Yukon, that every community would know you. And amidst the overdoses and the drug use in our city, those would be repented of and people would cling to Christ and use us as conduits of your good news. Father, as we sing to you, we give you the praise. This is not for our glory or for our name. We seek to honor you in all things and teach us where we need to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Father, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father, save people of Whitehorse for your glory and use us to do so, that people would be added to your kingdom where we will feast together before King Jesus. Thank you for this mystery. Thank you for revealing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.